From tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. The Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and Skywarn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. Hey everybody, welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. Uh, yes, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. If you happen to be the first time uh, listener and you're checking us out for the very first time, uh, thanks for stopping by. We, we want to let you know, go to stormfrontfreaks.com uh, and you can check out our library of all the previous episodes we've got uh, with, with famous folks from the weather industry, people like Storm Chaser, Jeff Piotrowski, the Weather Channel's John Erdman, uh, just to name a few. But uh, the other thing I want to mention to you guys right now, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter or Facebook for our five weeks of Christmas giveaways. So our last episode, we covered uh, our uh, holiday weather shopping extravaganza. We covered all kinds of great weather-related gifts that you could uh, either put on your own list or you might want to uh, give to your friends or family. But we're also, over the next five weeks, giving away those gifts to our listeners. They're so pretty, how are you? They're, they're very cool. Uh, we've already given away a, a Kestrel 5500 weather meter. Uh, right now, I know we've got the, the Weatherman collapsible and golf umbrellas that we're giving away. Uh, so there's more to come here over the next few weeks. So either go to Twitter, follow us at Stormfront Freak. Uh, or go to Facebook uh, and or go to Facebook and you can follow us there. Just search Stormfront Freaks and uh, you'll find out uh, all the different giveaways we're going to have going on. All right, but this is episode 67. We're with the prognosticator and the creator of HurricaneCity.com. Uh, Jim Williams is with us tonight, so uh, looking right. forward to, to chatting with Jim. We'll also be playing our lightning round with him. Uh, we've also got WX resources to share, and you're not going to believe our weather's believe it or not stories as well. But before we get to all of that, uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, introduce you to our co-hosts. And it's always happy hour when we're recording. Tonight's no different. So MJ, what are you drinking tonight? Well, good evening, everybody. Tonight we have a uh, Killian's Irish Red, wonderful uh, brew. It's a nice fall, wintry kind of beer. That's good. Ma works. Maz, Maz, no, you're you're in a new location. Yeah, I just new moved, home. So my setup is not set up, so to speak. So, <laughs> so do you have your bot? Do you, do you uh, deliver your box of hooch to the right low right room <laughs> or location? I, I managed to find the um, Margaritaville Gold Platinum, whatever label it is. It's and it's almost gone already. So I'm just telling I see you that's, that. That's Man. The, yeah, I'll I'll move again in twenty years. Let's just say that. <laughs> wow, oh I've forgotten how much fun that is. Uh -huh. <laughs> Gotta love it. All right, Bra Brady, Brady, you just moved to or what? What What are you yeah. drinking and what happened? Yeah, finally in my own apartment after uh, my bed was backordered for about two weeks. I am drinking a fat tire tonight because you know what? Very it's nice. one of those kinds of nights. You gonna open that cap? Yeah, I just couldn't find a bottle opener. <laughs> okay. So I've been trying wait, to stop wait. the past 10 minutes. You have an apartment with vaulted ceilings? I know. It's crazy. It's it's 
I, I didn't even know. Honestly, I didn't even notice they were vaulted until it's now. It's like a 3,000 square foot apartment there, Radium. It's not 3,000. All right. All right. Hey, and then uh, our guest tonight's joining us as well uh, from the green room. Uh, he went to our stocked bar and, and is joining us. So, Jim, welcome. And what are you drinking tonight? Uh, good evening, guys. I'm drinking Miller Lite, keeping it simple tonight. Nothing uh, wrong less, with that. Great taste, less filling. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let's give you a formal introduction for those of you that don't know Jim Maz. Uh, let people know. All right. By the way, Jim, I like that Miller Lite, keeping it simple tonight. That should be their new phrase, right? Anyway, so this is Jim Williams. He created Hurricane City in 1997. I think that was when Brady was born. But one reason for the name Hurricane City are the pre uh, predictions made at the beginning of each hurricane season for the top cities and islands that Jim thinks are at the highest risk based on, based on simple mathematical formulas. All right. So since Jim started making city production predictions in 2003, he's nailed at least four to six cities out of 20 each year that ended up getting hit. Now, Jim also runs a paving business in South Florida since 1987, tracks hurricanes with statistical input as a hobby since the late seventies and holds no meteorology degree. That's pretty good statistics there, Jim. So what do you think of this season so far, and, and how would you do this year? This has been my best year of predictions. Uh, since I've been doing this since 2003, and the only other year I can think that was even close to this year as far as accuracy was 2005. But people will say, well, that's because you had a whole bunch of storms. It's kind of like shooting a gun you know, in all different directions, and you're going to get hit. You're going to hit something, right? But this year was a little different in the sense that it was only a little bit above average. Above average, We have, what, 11.7 for an average amount of named storms. Uh, this year, um, I've got all of my top five, which hardly ever happens. Um, got 20% of the remaining 15. But overall, a very successful year. My number one for the U.S. was Wilmington. The eye, went right, eye of Florence went right over Wilmington. And my number one was Sable Island, Nova Scotia, which had uh, Hurricane Chris winding down to a tropical storm when it passed over the island. So uh, very successful year. I'm very happy. So, so what's what, your criteria? I mean, how do you decide if it's a hit, a miss, or how close? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the criteria is tropical storm force winds affecting the area. When the National Hurricane Center does their post-analysis, well, even actually before they do their post-analysis, they have a map that they show orange is tropical storm force winds, red are hurricane force winds. What I do is I use the HERTRAC program, which allows me to use the range rings of the wind fields of each storm, uh, the yellow being the tropical storm force winds and uh, the, the blue as well. And then when you get into the red, that's hurricane force winds. So after the season, I go back and tweak it. And I also use the analysis reanalysis project from the HERDAT, uh, HERDAT 2, and uh, tweak everything from the past to make sure that it lines up with what is considered a brush versus a hit. And that's the biggest debate. What is a brush versus a hit? Uh, what can, can, hey, Jim, do me a favor. Explain the HERDAT and the UDAT and the MDAT and the what's that DAT. Yeah. Okay. The, well, that's a, a reanalysis project from the Hurricane Research Division, and they're constantly going back in history and taking segments, maybe a 10-year 10 10 year swaths, and going back and reanalyzing all the hurricanes during that time period and, you know, looking at ground observations and, you know, maybe past recon data and trying to refine 
what the winds actually were at landfall. And uh, very rarely is there a track shift. It's usually an intensity shift because we pretty much know uh, what hurricanes made landfall, even going back to my, my database starts back at 1871. So I feel that since 1871, that, that you know, it, it's improved gradually, you know, greatly since 1871. But even back in the late 1800s, we had an idea of at least where they went, made landfall. Now, a lot of the fish storms we didn't know about, but we knew where they made landfall and we could probably go back and look at the old data and find out what, what, what the winds were in certain cities and, uh, you know, the data that they've been able to accumulate uh, at the Hurricane Research Division. 1800s, you don't look that old, Jim. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, I, I'm older than I, I'm, I'm much you know, uh, younger than I look, yeah. You know what, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great point, Matt. Jim, talk, talk to us some about your backstory. It says here you've been in South Florida for a while now and you've been doing, you know, you've been interested at least in hurricanes since the 1970s. Talk to us about, you know, how what got you all started? Was it a hurricane that came through? What was it? You know, for me, it was, uh, I don't know if you guys, any of you know, the late Bob Weaver, Weaver, the weatherman from South Florida. He did a show uh, at 5.55, right before the six o'clock news, and he would focus on the tropics and he would show the color radar when that was brand new. And I was just fixated on that show. And so I would watch him talk about tropical waves and these waves coming off Africa and developing into hurricanes and uh, so I, I started looking into it further and started doing a lot of my own research. And so I, I started making these maps. I, when I was in middle school, I had a map that filled up my whole wall, hurricane tracking map, the size of a whole wall. Oh my God. And wow. I drew it myself, put the grids on the map and tracked every storm. I used to do audio recordings. I would have a tape recorder and I would record everything. I, I still have some of those tapes. They're hysterical. Wow. You know, I'm a, I'm a kid <laughs> in middle school and I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm pissed off because that storm didn't develop or it turned out to see, you know, that's how obsessed I was. And I I'm keep looking over here cause I have a map. I don't know if I can show you this. Um, I'm going to try to show you this map, uh, right it, there. Explain, explain it since this is a podcast uh, and a lot of people won't see it. What explain what you're showing. Well, um, I'm showing a map on the wall. It's, it's a, actually a door skin. It's the size of a door. And those tracks in red are all Category 5 hurricanes that have made landfall that have been verified. And um, I used to have this, this map all filled with all the storms, but it got to be so clustered that you couldn't tell one storm from the next. So I just yeah. decided, let me just focus on Category 5s just to keep it so I don't have to keep updating it because it's behind glass. So I have to take the glass off after the hurricane season. And if there's been a Category 5 landfall, I have to... You know, how how far back are you going with that map? Uh, that map is um, from uh, I have that since 1900. That's all Category Five since wow. 1900. Okay. Wow. Okay. So so I I want to jump I want to jump back Jim to so you were talking about um, how you're determining the success of your um, uh, assumptions and your predictions and you talk about brushes and a brush you're kind of checking off as, okay, I, I got that one right. So you were going to talk a little bit about that. Explain what, what's a brush, how close, or what, what's the definition? Okay, take a storm like Katrina, for example. The, the hurricane force wind fields expanded out over 100 miles on that one. So I had to expand it a little further than normally. I mean, normally you're talking 60 to 80 miles for tropical storm force winds. 
to impact an area. And then the core of the hurricane is usually 50, 60 miles of hurricane force winds. But in some of these storms, they're all different sizes. In fact, at Hurricane City, I have a, a in the drop-down menu, it, it's, there's a link that says, how big was it? And it takes all the past storms and it shows you how big they were compared to the next, next to the state of Florida. So you have big ones like Hurricane Mitch and Hurricane Gilbert and Hurricane uh, Katrina and Hurricane Allen. And then you have those tiny ones like Hurricane Andrew and Hurricane Charlie. And so I factor all those, the winds, the size of those winds uh, using the HurTrack program, like I said, and it gives you the range range. You can go back and run all the past storms and it gives you the range range. So if, if it's within the, the aqua and the yellow area, which are tropical storm force winds, these are all based on HRD, Hurricane Research Division findings. Um, and I just am able to animate it with that program. And I can go city by city by city and figure out whether it was a brush or hit based on those range ranks. So what, what's the lowest uh, wind speed that would still fall within that range and be considered a brush? Well, 40 miles an hour. I mean, that's the minimum okay. tropical storm force winds. Uh, and tropical depressions don't count. That's not in the calculations at all. It's just tropical storms and hurricanes. And we include uh, subtropical and extratropical systems as well. And then, of course, extratropical, they expand. So that also factors in for the Canadian Maritimes, for example. You have an extratropical system expanding out 200 miles. If that's the case, then we're going to include that as a brush. Okay. So what so what generally what were your thoughts on this past year? Not don't take into account your predictions obviously cuz you 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 covered that a little bit. I'm just curious what what were your thoughts on this past year with the season and uh what'd you think of it all? It started out as I expected. It was a little bit slower. In fact, the first half of the season a lot of people were like, "Well, this is this is turning out like we thought. This was going to be a slower than normal season." And, and then as things, as the season progressed, in fact, this has happened the last few years, September, October comes around. It's like the lid comes off the tropics and, uh, we're getting more late season storms. It seems lately, October, especially, um, I was, you know, I have, um, my broadcast partner, Bill Phillips, uh, we, we do live coverage of hurricanes when they make landfall and, uh, we, we were going to cover, we did cover Hurricane Florence, but I had a couple of funerals I had to attend. I had a lot of close friends that uh, passed away this year. It's been tragic. And uh, so I couldn't make it up there to cover Hurricane Florence. And uh, my friend, my broadcast partner, Bill, said, well, I think that's it for the season. I think we're done. And I said, I, I, I don't agree with you. I think we're going to see a big one in October. Something's going to come just like with Matthew and uh, even last hurricane season when we had, you know, late September systems and going into October, I think we're going to get something big this year. And sure enough, Michael developed and I got right back from a funeral I attended, turned right around and went right back up to Panama City. And I was in Hurricane Michael. I got in the eye of it. Oh, my gosh. Yep. I was in that hurricane. I Now, this is an interesting story because uh, a lot of storm chasers, they, they like to, you know, hunker down. They'll be under an overpass or uh, an overhang of a hotel, for example, or they'll, you know, get away from the high wind areas. They'll get inland or get out, get outside of it. I decided, you know, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but I, I have a fortified vehicle. I put Lexan glass on the back of it to protect me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go into this hurricane. I'm going to stream it live. I backed the truck into the wind 
in an open field where there is no trees, no power lines, no signs, no, you know, nothing that could injure me. And the truck did a perfect job. I was able to stream it live through the entire hurricane before, during, and after God in the eye of it. Uh, we had about 80,000 wow. viewers watching that on both Facebook and, and Periscope. But the Lexon glass did break on the backside yes. eyewall. A piece of roofing material came up oh and shattered God. it. And uh, if I had not had that glass on there, it might have came right through and hit me in the back of the head. So, Jim, what was that like? I mean, it's one thing for us to see it, obviously, on Periscope, um, but it's another thing to actually be there. Like, were you ever scared or, or, or oh, was yeah. there a moment it, where you're like, it, crap, you know, what did yeah, I do? There was uh, the, the front side wasn't that bad. I was uh, just north of Tyndall Air Force Base on the backside eye wall, and uh, it was a little hairy. I mean, there were some things. Occasionally, you get one of those mesovortices that was passing by the truck and the winds would shift and something would come from the side or come from an odd direction other than this, the regular mean wind direction. And, uh, then the eye came and I got, got the eye. I, and I was so busy running around with my camera filming and everything. I forgot to check the pressure, but I did use barometer uh, plus on the phone, which is really interesting. A lot of people say, well, that's, that doesn't work, but there's a sensor in the iPhone and the new versions that allow you to measure barometric pressure. And it measured 924.8 millibars, and that was before the eye. So I'm assuming I was in about 923 millibars. Yeah. But um, And I came home and tested that extensively, and it does work. It matches my weather instruments back here. So it's a really good app. But anyway, um, the backside came, and that's that That was when all hell broke loose. It was really bad. Uh, the backside, there was all the plywood that was protecting all the storefront windows just blew off. It was flying over the truck. There were aluminum flying by like missiles. Uh, you would not believe how fast things were flying by that truck. It was, uh, it was, I, I say several times in the video, there's a short version. I have a 15 minute long video, which is all the oohs and ahs, so to speak. And then there's a longer version, which is a full documentary before, during, and after the hurricane. And uh, the 15 minute version is just, you'll sit up in your chair and you just, you won't believe it. Now, the one thing I, one mistake I had was the truck was so well protected that you couldn't hear the wind that good and a lot of people are like well there's a lot of things flying around but we're not hearing a lot of wind it was loud but you couldn't hear it on the live feed but uh it was it was really loud next year i'm going to have an external microphone so that they can pick up the sound outside yeah, what do they want you to do step outside are you kidding me no, i, I, I never crack my window i don't step come outside on. that's just foolish you'll get killed i mean come there was on. things flying by at 150 miles an hour, could decapitate you. I mean, aluminum yeah. sheets that were eight feet long, just whew, like missiles right by the truck. Crazy. All right. But well, hey, me, hey, hold, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break, Jim. Uh, I want everybody to go ahead and refill your drinks. When we come back, we'll continue talking chasing uh, with Jim and also talk his predictions. FelicityDesigns.com is the leader in weather-themed clothing and accessories for the Stormfront Freak and you. Besides a creative line of weather-themed t-shirts, footwear, bags, and more, they also carry an exclusive line of Stormfront Freak's podcast gear and drinkware. Get a 5% discount on your entire order when you use the code SFF for Stormfront Freaks at checkout. That code again is SFF. Find it all at FelicityDesigns.com. 
All right, hey everybody, welcome back. Hey, so we're here with Jim Williams of HurricaneCity.com. Jim, you were talking a little bit about chasing uh, and Michael down in Panama City. Um, what I, what I want to know is this. So if you're, you, you talked about, you've got the 15 minute version and then you've got the over hour long version. What, what else are you doing while you're streaming the video? Are you talking? Are you looking at anything, updating people on what you're looking at? How's that work out? Yeah. So we, um, when I say we, my partner, broadcast partner, Bill Phillips, he was taking my video and pushing it to the social networks because I didn't want to use my bandwidth from the road to try to pull this off. Uh, by the way, AT&T Networks was brilliant. They stayed up through the whole storm, uh, allow us to stream. We lost, lost 15 minutes of airtime. I heard uh, that, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, during the whole live video presentation, we're showing uh, – first of all, I have a remote camera as well. I know Mark Sudeth from Hurricane Track does this too. Uh, we had a remote camera set up on the um, DuPont Bridge, yeah, DuPont Bridge uh, near Tyndall Air Force Base. And so when I went down, when my internet signal went down, he, Bill was able to show the remote camera. What, what All hell was breaking loose on that. Billboards coming down, aluminum flying by. It was like raining debris. And um, he w I would also show radar fixes of my current position using a radar scope. And um, we were showing, the, of course, the barometer app. And during the time that I was down, Bill, what Bill does is if, if he ever loses me in a storm, he shows either live web cameras that are on the Internet or local news from the affected area. So people that are watching it, a lot of people evacuate these areas. So they want to watch it as it's happening. And I feel that's part of the service that we're providing. But not only that, it's giving people an education, like I said, about the aluminum flying by. This is kind of what you can expect when you're in a hurricane. We've covered all these hurricanes in the past at Hurricane City making landfall. So I figured what better way to do it than actually being there and showing people what's happening. And we were talking to people before the hurricane came. You know, what are you going to do? Do you have a mattress to put over your head? That sort of stuff. And then afterwards, there were people coming up to me with all kinds of stories. The only thing I regret is I didn't interview more people in the aftermath. There were a lot of homeless people that, were, that had stories to tell. They were climbing up in trees and you know, hiding in buildings from the storm surge. It was crazy. That's hard to do. That's hard to do, though, right, is to approach people that are in that situation and exactly. ask them their story. You're like, oh, I don't, yeah, should I Yeah, ask? it was like should a I... zombie apocalypse. Like, everybody's walking around. Right. Like, it, it just didn't seem right. Like, everything was out of place. Nobody was in their right mind. I, I, I felt out of place. And, I, you know, that truck is, what I have is a utility truck. So it looks like it's official. So I'm in the area, and I have... You know, all the, you know, like a typical like power truck is what it looks like. And so it's a big truck and, and people think, well, I was in there to start helping people right away. And that really wasn't my purpose there. But I was, you know, I would have helped any way I could. But there was power lines down, power poles down, blocking all the roads. I had to go around power poles to get to my, my remote camera. Uh, it was uh, hair-raising the most hair-raising part of this was that not actually the hurricane, but driving immediately after the hurricane, trying to navigate all the down power poles and lines. That place had so many power lines and power poles. I've never seen anything like it. And I, I'm from South Florida where it's very congested down here. We have a lot of power lines and power poles, but I've never seen that many power lines and power poles crisscrossing roads. It's more it obvious is. when they're on the road. <laughs> yeah. They were down everywhere. Yeah. People, yep. Do you, do you run into a lot of people who are like, 
Yeah, I remember back in uh, 1964, we were we made it through Hurricane Whatever, and they're like, you know, it wasn't that bad, so we're just going to ride ride this one out too. And you give them the service of like, okay, this is where like Armageddon is, and they get the opportunity to see that because I think for most people, they never get to experience, and when they see it, they're just like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah, well, I, I had a sense of that when I was there uh, before the hurricane. I got in there the day before, and the hotel I stayed at, which uh, which was a Comfort Inn in in uh, Callaway, Florida. That's actually the city that I was in. And uh, I went into the hotel and you know checked in, and I, I I asked all the questions a storm chaser would ask, like, how thick are your windows? Do you have a generator? Uh, do you have a second floor room? I don't want to get flooded out here in case things get really bad. And she's like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, you know, she wasn't comparing it to a past hurricane, but she didn't seem to be concerned at all about what was about to come. And I go, you have oh, no yeah. idea what's coming here. I mean, this is like a tornado, basically, that's yeah. going to be over this area in a few wow. hours. You know, it's going to be that bad. Your windows are going to blow in. And then I said, well, look, give me a south-facing room because I figured, uh, I mean, excuse me, give me a north-facing room. Wait a minute. That would be east in Panama. So, yeah, give me an east-facing room because the winds are going to be primarily out of the west and southwest. That was my thinking, right? But that wasn't the way it turned out. The winds came around out of the east and northeast and were hammering the, the room that I was staying in, and all those windows busted out. But uh, they abandoned the hotel. Uh, the, the, the people that were running the hotel, they were nowhere to be found the next day. There was roof leaks everywhere, uh, people wandering the hallways. It was, it was, it was just unbelievable. Uh, so, so I, I want to ask you, Jim, a little bit. I want to go back to, cause, cause here's what I love. And I think this is what our show is all about. We've got meteorologists and we have non-meteorologists and our show is all about fun and entertaining and educating at the same time. Uh, but we love to embrace the weather geeks and the weather fans. And you might, you may or may not be a meteorologist, uh, but you just love weather. And you are not a meteorologist. So my, my question is, uh, because I think, you know, that, that's embraced by us in our community. Um, what is your background? And, and you talked a little bit about when you were growing up and the hurricanes you saw, but I want to know, your background and how you got into now predicting where you came up with this formula to be predicting hurricanes. Where'd that come from? I'm glad you asked that question because I wasn't You're quite welcome. finished explaining my prediction scheme. <laughs> so what I did, it, it, this is kind of a long story. I'm going to try to keep it short. Uh, back in the probably late eighties, early nineties, I had an old Epson computer. I don't know if you remember those old mono computers with the five inch floppy disk. So I created a program where when you put it, you, you put in category one, hit enter, and then it prints out all of the category ones that made landfall on a dot matrix printer. So I wrote that program and it, it prints out all these category one and it went state by state by state. So I'm figuring, okay, if, if there's a cat one head in the Florida, I would put in Florida category one and it would print out everything and what it did when it, when they hit Florida, all the category ones. So as the years went by, uh, my wife was and I were talking about, I need to get this stuff online. I need to go on the internet. 1995 went by, 1996. 97, I said, okay, let me get it. Go ahead and get a uh, an account going to make a website. I, I started at GeoCities, and I called it Jim's Hurricane Web back in 1997. So I figured, okay, let me go 
let me figure city by city because if you go state by state, there's too much, too many, it's too large of data for it going state by state. And I wanted to go city by city because I figured if you narrow it down, it really gives the people an idea of where hurricanes uh, hit more one place than another place. Because everybody knows the most hurricanes hit Florida. So that's, that's you know, pretty much, and North Carolina, the Outer Banks. But if you go city by city, it's kind of different. So I decided, let me separate them all by about 50 miles and go all through the Caribbean and the United States and collect all the data on brushes and hits going all the way back to 1871. So it was a painstaking process. I would spend hours in uh, at libraries going over microfilm data, um, old old hurricane books. Um, I'd go to the, the Hurricane uh, Center Library at the Hurricane Center. I spent hours there, and I ran into former directors such as Bob Sheets, and you know I would do my research there and put all this together and decided, okay, once I get this put together, people can use this as a tool to figure out their city. Because if you say, again, if you say a state, it, it doesn't mean much to people. But if you say Miami and you live in Miami, then that has a whole new meaning. I can say, you can say, go to Miami. It'll tell you the most likely time of the year that Miami's going to be hit by a hurricane. It'll tell you the return rates for tropical storms and hurricanes. It'll tell you the return rates for major hurricanes. It'll tell you every all the history of all the past hurricanes that hit directly. And not only that, it gives you all the NHC final reports. It'll give you maps, radars, everything for every hurricane that's ever hit that particular city. Then after calculating all that and getting it all put together, I figured, okay, let me come up with a ranking scheme. What cities get hit the most versus others? And I took all the 140, 100, there's 140 total cities that includes all the United States coastal cities and the Atlantic Basin and the Caribbean islands. And I rank them, who gets the most hurricanes, who gets the most tropical storms. And that's a whole other page. It's called uh, hurricanecity.com slash rank. So you can see the rankings of all the cities. Then I decided, why not create a predictive scheme based on this? Because if I can calculate all this data, I can kind of figure out based on how active a hurricane season is going to be as to who might be more most vulnerable. During busy hurricane seasons, there's certain areas that are very vulnerable. And slow hurricane seasons, there's certain areas that are very vulnerable. And then you combine that with the return rates and you have a formula. So here, here's my question: Is that is that formula is that proprietary or is that something you've shared? Oh, I've shared it. I've I've I put it on. I have a a um, uh, blog that I've written, and I read it, write write it before each hurricane season. Okay. It explains spe- explains specifically what the process is, and the newest things that I've added to the eight criteria that I use is the North Atlantic Oscillation and Enzo Analog Years. And since I've added the North Atlantic Oscillation, the predictions have been outstanding. And what I do is in mid-April, when I start calculating everything, because I release it on May 15th, in mid-April, I look at the NAO and I go, okay, in May, is the NAO positive or negative? And then I decide, okay, I don't decide, but I look at the data. And if it says it is a positive NAO um, at that time of the year, then I'll go back in history to the cities that I've chosen to be in my top 20 based on return rates and everything. And then I use the NAO to narrow it down. And I say, okay. Which which is what? What's the NAO? The North Atlantic Oscillation. When it's positive. What does that mean? 
Well, when it's positive, there's cooler waters in the uh, tropical Atlantic heading toward and quicker trade winds heading towards the Caribbean and the, the, the mean development region in the Atlantic. When it's negative, it's more warmer and slower. Now, that's not for me to dis- to tell you the the science behind the NAO. What I just do is take whether it's positive or negative and then apply that to the cities that I've chosen based on return rates. And then if there's a, a period, uh, say they've been hit eight times when there's a positive NAO, I would say, okay, that's a yellow shaded area there on my criteria. If they've been hit eight, like that happened last year with Irma, Marathon was picked because eight times in history when there's a positive NAO, Marathon was hit by a hurricane. So I thought that was really outstanding. And that's why they made the top five and they were hit by Irma last year. All right, so Jim, my, my question is this. Now, you're not a meteorologist. I'm not a meteorologist. So I, I've, as a, as with a biology degree, I can't, I can't come to you with your, your formula and really say anything about it because I, I know nothing about it to begin with. That's something maybe Maz or Brady uh, could, could chime in on. But my question is this, is you have to have caught some crap about this over the years not being a meteorologist and predicting, and I'm using my air quotes, right? Predicting yeah. hurricanes and hurricane landfalls. You, you had to have, you have to have had some uh, people coming back. So I just, I want to know, just out of curiosity's sake, what what's been your argument to say? I think I really can predict where hurricanes are okay. going to hit. All right. Well, let me give you an example. Um, you all know Phil Klotz back from Colorado State. Sure. Yep. And every year before the hurricane season starts, he's got a whole bunch of cameras in front of him, and he predicts how many named storms there's going to be. And he says, okay, East Coast, 2,000-mile stretch, there's a 51% chance that a hurricane is going to affect the, the, the coast. I mean, what is anybody supposed to do with that information? <laughs> so that was one of the reasons I started doing this, because I figured I'm going to try it for a couple of years, and if it's successful, I'm going to keep going with it. And I've only had two bad years. So, you know, I've even talked to Phil Klotzbeck, try to, you know, just say, look, this is simple, but it's better than just saying 51% for a 2,000 mile stretch of coastline. And I've been pretty accurate at this and it, it, it's been very successful. So, so what's pretty, answer, what, what's, what's your, how do you, rep, how do you grade yourself? So when I, you say I've been successful or I had two bad no. years, what does that really mean? Okay. What I do, I, I verify each year. Uh, I have a verification at the bottom percentage percentage of accuracy so if it's only uh three out of five that's uh, what uh 64 whatever the the percentage comes out to and then the remaining 15 the the amount of cities that are in the remaining 15 that get brushed or hit are are counted and then that percentage is added up and then i combine the two and it gives me an annual percentage accuracy of how many cities compared to the 140 total cities have been impacted. In fact, this year, I think I have this paper here. This year, just to, and, you know, to, to go with the argument that people say, well, not only are you not qualified, but anybody can do this because they're just using simply return rates. And sure. there's a whole bunch of hurricanes. It's been very active lately. This year, only 31% of my cities were impacted. Last year, 71% were impacted. So out of the 31%, I got all of the top five. Last year, I didn't even get all of the top five, even though there were 71% of the cities impacted. So there is some, some, some skill involved in figuring out which cities are going to be impacted. Um, sure. And uh, so, but to answer your question about criticism, 
I, I think the biggest criticism I get right now is no criticism at all. And that is the professionals and the people in the meteorological industry don't like talking about this. And the reason they don't, it's not necessarily because I don't have a degree in meteorology. It's because they don't like to tell people you're off the hook. That area is at high risk, but that area is not at high risk. That's what I'm doing. I, I'm emboldened to no one. I don't have to answer to anybody. So I figure I can do this and 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 try to, to hone it a little bit and get it right. And I have nothing to lose. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But every year I say to people, there's going to be one area or two areas hit that I don't pick. That's just the way it is. It could be a major. It could be a tropical storm. It doesn't differentiate the strength of the system. It just tells you your area is going to be impacted this year. And I've had people that have emailed me thanking me. If I'm in there, if their city's in my top five, they said, honey, we're going to the store because this guy's been so accurate over the years. And they thank me after the hurricane season when they basically, you know, get their ass kicked by a category four or five. They're thanking me. Like he put the warning up and we listened to him. Nobody else was doing that in the media. They were just talking about the whole stretch of East Coast, uh, 51%. And it, it's just no good. I mean, look at NOAA, 10 to 16 named storms. That's a forecast they give you. What is somebody supposed to do with that information? Hmm. So if, if, if I can tell people that 15 named storms means this versus 10 named storms means this, then it, it starts to make sense to people. They can say, okay, a slower season means my area might be more vulnerable. And so, I'm over too. So so what, what were the cities that you, your, your top five this year? My knew? top five was Sable Island, Nova Scotia, the tiny little island where only the horses live. I had that as my number one last year because I felt it was going to get hit. And finally it happened this year with Tropical Storm Chris, which was a hurricane. Mm -hmm. uh, number two was Wilmington. And the I went I Florence went right over Wilmington. Number three was Myrtle Beach. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Florence once again went right right near Myrtle Beach. Uh, number four was Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and number five was the Isle of Youth, Cuba, which was impacted by Alberta early in the season. I, I'm curious, and this is just anecdotal, just kind of just for myself. I'm curious to know, and I, and I'm I'm only half serious, but I am half serious when I say this. Have you done anything with time of day? And I know that sounds weird to say, like, oh, come on. I have. But but I'm curious to know, uh, is there a certain time of day? And, and I think there's a science behind that. It's just that it's, you know, when the wave comes across, when there's certain things. Tell me a little bit about that. I'm kind of curious. I have. I, I, I don't have those notes in front of me, but I have calculated all that and tried to find out what time of day these things make landfall. Uh, it's about 50-50. Everything I, all the research I've done, no matter what city I, I reference, it seems like it's about 50-50 now. Um, it, it, the problem with that calculation is that you're talking about the eye making landfall at a certain hour, but there's the whole core of the hurricane that has to pass. So that could be a whole six-hour stretch. And if you're at, at midnight and the, it's a slow-moving hurricane, it could still be hitting in the morning hours. So you can't really say well, it hit at this hour versus that hour. But if you want to go just by the eye, it's about 50-50. Okay. That's what I found out. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to ask this. So so all of us, even though we're not all meteorologists, uh, we, we're all, we have science degrees of some sort or math degrees. Um, first off, I'll say this, Jim. I, I If nothing else, again, because I, I can't be a good judge of is this system viable or not? Is your, your formula viable or not? I will say this, bare minimum, 
it brings awareness to people, right? It, right. It, it, if nothing else, it's saying, if someone's saying, hey, your city could be uh, highly impacted this year, it's making people maybe look and think a little bit more than like you said of, hey, there might be 10 to 15 named hurricanes. Well, if I'm living in Charleston, North Carolina, what does that mean to me? But if someone's saying, hey, I might be at a higher risk this year of a hurricane, I might at least peek up and perk up and find out what's going on. But I, I'm curious, um, I'm going to ask MJ because he's, he's a math major and math degree. And what, what, do, you, what do you think of a, of a formula? Because to me, there are, there are lots of constants in, in weather and in, in um, uh, tides and, and in uh, jet streams. And there are constants there. But there's also a ton of variables there to go can can is that how predictable can we really be and and you got a big math background what do you think <laughs> well yeah math in a different way probably um but i i think yeah i think what you i think what we usually do and of course i haven't looked at jim's formula and studied it or anything like that um but but i know what we try to do in math is is eliminate as many variables as we can Right. And isolate. And I, and I think so if the if the formula like I, I'm hearing is looking at a lot of, you know, hard data in terms of when you talk about return rates and you talk about all of those things, I think that's the right direction to go. I think you can't get rid of all of the variables for sure. But what we try to do is, I you know, isolate them and eliminate them as much as we or, you know, as much as we possibly can to make a formula more effective. And I, I assume, Jim, that that's those are some of the things that you've looked at as you as you. Oh, absolutely. Hold, There's as you, you know, refined this formula. Yeah, there's a process of elimination. Believe me, I go through it. It's uh, I have my whole list of all 140 cities and then I start number crunching. And the first thing I do is look at whether they're due or overdue. That's the number one thing. And then it, it but that doesn't always factor in because they could have been hit last year, the same city. And then I'll pick them again the next year. It's not always just about return rates. It's about patterns, too. There have been times where, like Marathon, a bunch of times when they've been hit by a major hurricane, they get hit by a tropical storm the following year. Mm. And that happened this year. I had Marathon in my top 20 because it's happened so many times. And sure enough, they were hit by Tropical Storm Gordon this year down in Marathon. But I did not have, and it, what's also important is who I don't pick. And I did not pick the Florida Peninsula this year, and I did not pick Texas this year. I did not have either of them at high risk. And neither of them were impacted this year, except for the Panhandle and, and the Keys in Florida. Sure. You know, there's a, you, you could take you could take a look at let's say Oklahoma City for tornadoes. There's a meteorological segment of that, but there's also a climatological segment of that. And so you can look at it one way, and all of the ingredients that are there. And then you can look at the climatological side and say, but when are those ingredients there, and how often do those patterns emerge? using your you know I, I first of all i'm impressed with your your research i like the fact that you are a researcher you're passionate about it and you're you you like it so you're going to continue to do it and there's an audience for that i love so, data i love yeah. number crunching yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think the key i think the key too with everything is communication right because uh, because uh, you know one no one weather tool is perfect right so i think Communication is key, and, and I think it's it's fantastic, you know, and continue communicating it and make sure people know that it's, you know, not necessarily absolute because that's that's the reason, that's the main disconnect, I feel like, with a lot of these tools that we use is communicating probability, 
And that, to me, is the most important That's thing. That's right. Well, you know, the National Hurricane Center started putting maps out now. They, I've been watching them for a long time, and only recently they started putting maps on their site showing return rates. And, you know, this is how often this area gets hit versus that area. And I never saw that over there before uh, until the last few years when they really started getting heavily intense, intense into these maps showing return rates. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe they know they know what it is. And you, But like you just said, uh, Brady, you can't really say for sure. You can't leave anybody out because, and I say this every year, somebody's going to get hit that I don't pick. I mean, that's my safety net to say, yeah. just because you're not in my top 20 doesn't mean that you're safe. You're still going to get hit. And all that the agencies would have to do is say the same thing. They could say we have a higher risk for, say, the southern half of Florida. They don't have to go city by city if they don't want to. I know that's very risky, but they could at least narrow it down a little bit more and then say, you all, you other people, there's just as good of a chance, but we climatologically speaking, the data kind of lines with this area based on how many name storms we're expecting, based on the fact that they're overdue by a certain amount of years. And, you know, and, and that's the biggest criticism I get going to answer your question, Phil, is from the National Hurricane Center people. I've met them in person and they don't like the fact that uh, you're, you're kind of leading into a, um, you know, I just forgot what I was going to say. Uh, you're leading into a, um, a scenario where you're you can't say to people that they're 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 safe and so you know what i've just lost my train of thought i, I was going to drive at a point about the net oh that's what it was they don't like the return rates uh, to say well you're overdue they don't like return rates in the sense that somebody's overdue they don't like that term overdue they they don't like to use that at all and that yeah, i just find that, another name for it i, I mean that <laughs> right just find another name. Maybe they'll be happy with it. Um, so quick, last quick question. So what, what's, what are your thoughts for uh, next year or when do you start coming up with your uh, plan for 2019? I don't calculate until like early April um, okay. before the season starts because I got to wait for the Enzo to pan out because that's another factor. Are we going to get an El Nino? Are we going to be neutral? Are we going to be La Nina? That factors into this too, so I gotta any, wait and see how that pans out. Any trade over, any uh, uh, trade over cities from previous years that you've kind of had high on your list and still haven't been hit yet that you think are are in that potential overdue or whatever name you want to yeah, use. Yeah, well, that's why you can't just use due or overdue for predicting because Tampa's been overdue for like. Well, actually, they were impacted by Irma last year, so I can't yeah, really say bit. that. But yep. but uh, Tampa had gone a lot of years, like something like 30, 40 years without a hurricane passing over there. So they got Irma. They got in the eye wall anyway, and uh, so it counts as a hit. But uh, you, there's a lot of cities that are that are way right. overdue. They're overdue okay. mark. I mean, they're well, they're like 10, 15 years beyond. So so. City that uh, might be interested that you don't have on your uh, list there, and it might be Vegas. I know it's a little bit twisted to say that, but I could see them being interested in the probability. <laughs> I thought, thought it's about a little that. bit twisted I... to say that, but I'm just like, you know what, Maz? I thought for a second you were suggesting they were going to get hit by a hurricane, and I was going to. Yeah, that's what I thought first too, but yeah. I did too. I get it. Now. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I knew where he was going with it. I, I think about that all the time. <laughs> Vegas is going to have an interest in this. They can make money on it, and if they were using my predictions, they'd be making a lot of money. Because I've only been two <laughs> two years that I've really flopped on this, but overall, it's been very good. So, I mean, Jim, how how can people that are going to want to know what what what's up for 2019? How can they follow you uh, either on social media and or find out the information when you release it? Twitter at Hurricane City, 
Facebook, facebook.com slash Hurricane City Tracking. And those links are all on the front page of HurricaneCity.com and the navigation menu and in the logo at the top of the site. Uh, on YouTube, it's HurricaneCity.com spelled out, HurricaneCityDOT.com. Um, and uh, I'm on I'm also on uh, Ustream, which kind of is defunct at the moment. They're not allowing, allowing people to live stream anymore, so I don't use Ustream. So it's basically Facebook, Twitter, and um, YouTube. Great, great. All right, well, hey, that's that's the sign. It is time for our lightning round. This is our game show of fun, brilliant, and flashy questions for our guests that we play uh, every episode. And tonight is no different. Uh, so, Jim, I understand, obviously, you're living down in Florida. You're uh, just north of Fort Lauderdale, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, kind of near Miami. And you, Are you a big Miami sports fan, uh, follow any Miami sports, any Miami I, anything? I follow the Dolphins. I follow the Heat. You're close. Okay, so so it might be a little bit of a stretch, but tonight we're going to play a little Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and we're going to do this Miami Vice style. <laughs> so Miami <laughs> Vice. <laughs> exactly. So so who wants to be a millionaire? So, again, you've I got do. your lifelines. Uh, you can do 50-50. I'll take away half the answers. Uh, you've got uh, phone a friend. You can pick any one of the freaks. Brady, Maz, or MJ, any one of them to help you, or pull the freaks, and we'll ask all of them, and, and maybe that will help you out as well. So you got three lifelines, and uh, this is all on Miami Vice. You ready? Okay, go. Of course you're ready. Okay, so first and foremost, uh, first, first question, what singer or singers did not appear in an episode of Miami Vice? Was it A, the Fat Boys, B, Glenn Fry? C, Phil Collins, or D, Michael Jackson, who did not appear in an episode of Miami Vice? Mm. Fat Boys, Glenn Fry, Phil Collins, or Michael Jackson? I will say Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, D, is that your final answer? That is my final answer. And that would be correct. Michael Jackson was not in Miami Vice. Uh, very good. So moving on to the second one. What year did Miami Vice, the series, premiere on TV? Was it 1981, 1982, 1983, or 1984? 81, 82, 83, 84. I believe it was was it A, one week, B, five weeks, C, 11 weeks, or D, 15 weeks? How many weeks was it number one on Billboard? Oh, this is boy. The soundtrack. Miami soundtrack. Vice soundtrack. Phil, what does that go like? Can you, can you rehash it? <laughs> well, I, I do know it had the theme song, the Miami Vice theme song, but I do know it had uh, uh, Glenn Fry, We Belong in the City, it had Phil uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight. Um, had Tina Turner. Um, I don't know who else. <laughs> well, Is that good? Does much, that help uh, you? Out? Yeah, that helped me out. Um, okay, so one, five, eleven, or fifteen? 
I'll say uh, the 15 weeks. That's my final answer. Final answer? That would be incorrect. Uh, the, the correct answer is 11. It was 11 I was weeks. I say 11, too. It hold, holds the record. It holds the record for a TV show soundtrack. Uh, how many consecutive weeks? Yep. All right. Question number four. Uh, Sonny Crockett, one of the main uh, characters Wait in the minute, show. Am I, am I supposed to be kicked off the show at this no, point? No, no, we'll keep going. We, we give you a break <laughs> on this one. So Sonny Crockett is one of the original characters. What is the name of his pet alligator? Uh, is it Elvis, Buddy, Tubbs, or Shoes? What is the name of his pet alligator on his uh, sailboat? Uh, Elvis, Buddy, uh, Tubbs, I, or Shoes? Uh, you have three lifelines. That would be Elvis. Final answer. A Elvis. Final answer. That would be correct. It was Elvis. Jim does not you play don't well need with no lifelines. Yeah, he, he says he says screw the lifelines. I don't. I don't need no stinking lifelines. All right. Good thing. I don't even know what Miami Vice is, so don't even ask. Well, me. you're learning. Hey, this is a learning lesson for anybody that's probably under, under the age of 35. I'll just Fun show. throw that out there. Okay. All right. Uh, two more. In which city? Did Ricardo Tubbs, so Ricardo Tubbs is the other character, so Sonny Crockett, Ricardo Tubbs, uh, but R Ricardo Tubbs previously served in law enforcement in another city. Uh, was that A, Fort Lauderdale, B, New York, C, Los Angeles, or D, Havana? What previous city was Ricardo Tubbs in law enforcement before joining the fine men and women of Miami-Dade County? Wow. That's Fort Lauderdale, New York, Los Angeles, or Havana. And you, you remember, you got three lifelines. We can do 50-50, pull a freak, or, or pull all the freaks. Or hit a freak with a pull. Okay. You know what? Let's go the 50-50, please. All right, 50-50. I'm going to take off uh, A and D. So it's either New York or Los Angeles. Wow. Okay, well, that helps me. Um, I am going to say... New York, final answer. New York, final answer, and that would be there correct. Go. Uh, very good. Yeah. Moving on to the last question. Uh, Sonny Crockett, in his previous uh, life, played college football. Where did Sonny Crockett play college football? Uh, and this is the character, not the actor. Uh, so he either played at Miami, he either played at Florida, Florida State, or Central Florida. And the answer is a school in Florida. I'll, I'll give you that hint. Yeah. Miami, Florida, Florida State, or Central Florida. And another little hint, he was a wide receiver. His character was a previous wide receiver, and that's where he got his uh, alligator Elvis was, oh, I really gave you a hint there. Well, that would be the uh, Florida University of Florida final, final answer. <laughs> that is yep. correct. <laughs> wow. I kind of slipped. I slipped that out. Yeah, I screwed that. I screwed that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well done, Jim. Very good job. Obviously, you're, you're pretty, you know your Miami Vice. That's pretty good. <laughs> we're uh, we're going to go ahead and take our final break. Stay right here as we've got some WX resources to share with you. Uh, we've also got some amazing stories in our Weathers Believe It or Not segment. We will be right back.
Take a drive under the do you have a product or service that needs to get in front of thousands of weather fans? If so, you can partner with Stormfront Freaks podcast and be heard and seen over multiple platforms. To get more information, go to stormfrontfreaks.com and click on Our Partners or send an email to phil at stormfrontfreaks.com. The sleeping small towns will pass by Like the months you've been away Let's catch up our lives In the hours till day Let's take a drive under the moon Okay, enough of the applause, let's move on. It's time now for WX Resources. Very cool locations on the internet. You can check out stuff that's weather-related. And uh, Jim, I, I understand you've got what seven to share tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got two. I've got. Uh, I already mentioned one of them. Barometer Plus on the phone. It's an app you download, and it'll give you your barometric pressure, and it'll calibrate based on your elevation. So, uh, and it's only available on the newest forms of uh, the iPhone and the iPad. So um, that that is found to be fairly accurate. My other resource is tropicalatlantic.com. Chris Hollis runs a great website over there. He does all the Hurricane Hunter uh, vortex messages and decodes it and produces it, the maps for people to watch the animated Hurricane Hunters as they're moving around. And he's also um, runs uh, the best performing models and whatnot to tell uh, the uh, best track data on all the uh, hurricanes and what models are performing the best. So tropicalatlantic.com check that out are you on that one every day i i go there a lot i use a lot of his data yes i do okay and you get a kickback i'm just kidding I'm just <laughs> <laughs> hey i got one too well it's kind of it's a half it's a half one and that is because we've used it before and this is partly because the ladies aren't on so dina this one's for you it's the weather underground i, I gotta tell you that app you know when i first started i was like yeah it's pretty good then i was looking around and, I, and i've been using it almost every day but not just where i am it's so easy on the app to just you know zoom out move over to a different part of the country zoom back in instantly the temperatures the fronts are all on there like that and you know i mean i love that aspect of but i've been using it a lot uh especially with they had a blizzard this last week in uh, northern kansas and southern nebraska they had like four foot snowdrifts and stuff and so it was really cool just to kind of zoom in on and watching that whole system. So I know we did that one before, but it's just another shout out to Weather Underground and Dina, that buds for you. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> hey, you can check out all of these uh, resources on episode 67, Stormfront Freaks podcast. And it is right on the podcast app as well. Okay. So Brady, you've got the weather, believe it or not, right? I do. It is the weather, believe it or not. And you know what, Phil, I just noticed, why does Maz always get an applause for his segment? But I never, we never get an applause from mine, even though the viewers clearly love my segment the best. The, the viewers might, but our in-studio audience apparently doesn't uh, care for it. Apparently us. not. Oh, and they thought oh, that was funny, too, on. so that's good. Take, take the soundboard away from this man. Anyway, it's time for uh, our version of Ripley's Believe It or Not, Weathers Believe It or Not, where, we're us, where us as the Stormfront Freaks 
We're going out on the internet. We're going out back in the databases. And we are looking for the craziest or weirdest weather event that we can find. Phil, I heard you are claiming something. What are you claiming tonight well, about so past I, I'm, I'm actually I'm stealing, uh, stealing this from a, a friend of the show, previous guest, John Erdman from the Weather Channel. Uh, digital. He writes all kinds of great articles and uh, things like that. But uh, he, he had one, uh, actually one of his uh, pieces covered a lot of the strange weather events that he's seen in his lifetime. So I'm stealing this from him a little bit. I know MJ's got one uh, that comes from that same article. But uh, this is a story where, listen to this. Um, and, and Jim, you can chime in on this as well because you talk about uh, what was that word we were using again? Not reoccurring, but uh, what was the word? Return rate. Return rate. Return rate. So he, listen to this return rate. Seven tornadoes that hit a town in one night. Okay, you talk about return rate. <laughs> okay, this is one, one hell of a return rate. So there were seven tornadoes. So this was all created from this massive, slow-moving supercell. And that's kind of what you need, right, is something that's not moving very fast and just keeps putting tornadoes down. Uh, but this happened in a three-hour time period on June 3rd back in 1980. And, and Maz, you might be familiar with Mr. Nebraska. You might know Grand Island, Nebraska, town oh, yeah. of 48,000 people. Yep. Right in the center. As a matter of fact, I think, I think, don't quote me on this, I think uh, Dr. Fujita flew out and checked that out because I think that was when they first realized you could have um a tornado spin the other direction he had um he had it actually documented so wow cool. yeah so so this is a strange event in a number of factors but mm -hmm. uh because the supercell was moving uh, so slow what what happened was and and the most destructive of these seven tornadoes was an f4 rated f4 at the time right uh, tornado uh, it moved east of town to westward and south side of grand island before uh, basically turning completely south but um, what happened, they took all these strange paths and everything else. But listen to this, seven tornadoes, one town, one night and three hours. Five were killed, and another 193 were injured. Estimated damage around $300 million, uh, back in 1980 from a town that saw seven tornadoes so that's a lot i mean yeah. so can you imagine that i mean you just get hit by one you're like oh my god it's over and then you look and you just see another one coming like what and then you get six more are you kidding me like that's nuts. yeah what you know, are you gonna it, do it, it, think about how they say yeah lightning never strikes twice and which is totally false right well <laughs> tornadoes seven, seven times yeah. around one city you know what? Out of that town. you know what someone should make a movie of that night yeah, oh. that would be awesome. It's called it's called a scene from the day after tomorrow. That's what it, that the yeah, party. Right. I thought there was a movie called The Night of the Twisters where they did something like that. They might was have. There is a movie like that where there's one town that gets hit over and over in a, a very short period of time. That's insane. All right, that was my nightmare. Yeah. Maz, you know what? What is so that was your nightmare? But what is your weather's believed or not? You okay, so how much rain do you think you can get in an hour? In an hour, inches, three inches. What you know? It's heavy rain. We, talk, we talking Harvey, or are we talking like you know a cold front? We're talking an hour. three. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. Three, three and an hour. I'm going to let Jim check the data on this of the year. It was 1956, so is it's possible it could have been tropical related. Yeah. Right. So I want you. An inch of rain seems like a lot until you get it in one minute. 
What? 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 Yeah. No. It's a record 1.2. I'm going to share this with you here if I can, because we all know how well that went the last time I did this. Oh, you do so well with that stuff. It was like 20 minutes of like, what's the button? Uh, Let's see. Where is the button, actually, now that I think of it? There it is. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen with you. And uh, hit share. Yes. Go to not that one. This one. There you go. Can you see that? Current rainfall records. I see it. One minute, one point two three inches in Unionville, in Maryland? Maryland. So what? it's East Coast, nineteen fifty six. Maybe it's tropical related. I don't have the date on that one, uh, except for the well, year. Couldn't but have in been, one minute, uh, couldn't have been Carol. That was fifty five. Uh, Flossie, maybe fifty six. Could have been Flossie, Maryland. Wow. I mean, that's like a bucket. I mean, that's what a bucket being dumped basically. Carol fifty four. That's I wonder if anybody like drowned just walking to their car, you know, just like can't breathe because that's a lot of rain coming down in a minute. In a, in a minute, minute. yeah, ground, ground's not soaking that up in a minute. I can tell you no. that, no matter how dry the ground is or not. That's crazy. That is wow. crazy. It could give you the date at least. Yeah, I know. I know. It, well, well, you know, the funny thing is, is what blows me away even more is I see the one-hour record is thirteen point eight inches. Yeah, yeah I saw that one too. Hour, Holy cow. Uh, Central West Virginia, 1943. Holy buckets! Well, you literally it's buckets. It's got to be mountainous, right? You know. Yeah, you would not want would not want to be there or any of those places on that list. Well, that, I think that like the Big Thompson flood. I think that was like 12 inches in an hour or something. It was like clear skies everywhere else, and that rain gauge was like, oh, that can't be. That can't be right. It's got to be a broken rain gauge, and it was just filling up. And they're like, insane. no, 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 no. And it was. It was real. Well, that's pretty crazy, Maz. That's pretty yeah. crazy. All right. Uh, MJ, you got one, right? I do. Sorry, I had to just fix something there. Yes. Um, and we're going to go back to tornadoes. And the headline is Tornado Debris 200 Miles Away. So we talk about, you know, tornadoes picking up fish and doing other kinds of things. But this is talking about depositing debris from a tornado over 200 miles away. Um, Dr. John Knox, professor at uh, University of Georgia, did a study of an April to April 27th, 2011 tornado outbreak. And in the town of Phil Campbell, Alabama, uh, God, Phil was, Campbell's got his own town. He has his own I know town. Phil. I know. Yeah, and, I looked, I. and I looked Phil? that up too, just Phil to make Campbell? sure that was real. Yeah. It, and it is Phil Campbell, Alabama. Wow. It was leveled by an EF five tornado that day. Uh, there were buildings swept away, uh, car wrapped around the deep arc tree. A section of highway pavement was scoured away. Uh, and the tornado had a track of 132 miles. Oh it my swept, gosh, it that's swept a up a it, it swept up a photo from Phil Campbell, Alabama. Don't know if it was a Phil Campbell or not, but uh, it swept up a photo and deposited it in Lenore City, Tennessee, which was 220 miles away. Wow! It picked up a what? Wow. A, a photograph. 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 Okay. Oh yep. But then, okay, so that maybe you know maybe okay we can handle that. Um, piece of paper, right? A piece of paper. Yep. You think eh, okay. a, a pair of Wrangler jeans from a plant in Hackleberry, <laughs> Alabama, fell forty miles away. Oh my gosh! So now that's back something. To our dating years. Um, never mind. So, <laughs> that was, so that the, was the without the body, right? Yeah. The lesson is: <laughs> yes. don't get caught in a big strong in a tornado because you may exactly. end up fifty miles away. Well, no, I and I, yeah, I read that it was a it was a Wrangler jeans plant. It was a factory that got hit. Yeah. It was a factory wow. Wrangler jeans, 
and 40 miles pair of jeans flew 40 miles away i thought somebody got pants or something. I wonder what size yeah. they were yeah i was gonna say maybe i can get a pair of wrangler jeans it was it, it was enwrapped in a boulder sized hailstone <laughs> right i don't know oh my god that's, <laughs> that's insane that is insane all right well those are pretty good um now i have one um so guys you know flights can be delayed, right, by cold air. <laughs> we know yeah. that, Brady. Everything they, can, they can be delayed by ice. They can be delayed by, you know, what are the other things, right? Freezing, Is this an excuse? Is that what they're coming up for next week? An excuse? Tornadoes. No, no. Tor yeah, tornadoes, that's rare. Hurricanes. Well, yeah, they can't. They, and that was one thing that I learned was heat. So in mm -hmm. Phoenix, it was so hot. And this actually can happen in a decent amount of time is – is you know there were like 50 or some flights that were canceled because temperatures got over 120 degrees now you'd think yeah phoenix that can get that hot but the reason was what i was most surprised about it's because the air is too light because the air doesn't have enough density for the planes to get off the ground can't get the lift yeah can't get the lift and you know some people might know that but i was i i was shocked by that i was like trying to think oh maybe it's the equipment maybe it's overheating but no it's because the air is 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 less dense when there's more heat because the particles spread out further, and they they can't get off the ground. That was crazy. So if you so if they you, they didn't teach you that at, at the Ohio State University. Well, they didn't specifically say it can delay flights. Okay, okay. They, there wasn't didn't get Hobgood did not get in that in depth. Didn't, Plus didn't get into comprehension. His specialty is hurricanes, so he was talking latent heat, you know, all that true. stuff. Didn't really wasn't really taught. But that was fascinating to me. So that is well, Phil. Uh, I know you're you're gonna type all these stories up and put them on the uh, episode 67 show notes, right? Yeah, I'm such a great typist. I'll, okay, I'll get right cool. on that. Cool. Uh, well, if they're not on there, I'm sure you can find them somewhere, uh, Phil. It's, <laughs> they're, it's, uh, they're they're somewhere. Yeah, these they're stories. Somewhere. We didn't just make all of them up; just a couple of no, them. No, they're somewhere. So, just all right, uh, MJ, we got any uh, listener questions or responses? You know, we, we, we have one, but I do want to remind everybody, if you have questions that you want to want us to talk about on the show, feel free to uh, pose them on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can go to stormfrontfreaks.com and, and there's a spot there to put questions in as yeah, well. Because it makes us feel like you just don't care if you don't put questions in there. No, it does. Care. Right. And yeah, yeah. Hurt. that's hurtful. Um, but but fortunately tonight, Michael, uh, Michael Wilkinson came through for us. Uh, thank you, Michael. With, thank you. Yep. With a yeah. comment. Uh, and he said he's been gone for several episodes, but he's now able to come back as a regular listener and he loves the show. Uh, so we're, we're happy to have him. And he talked about some of the segments that we've had on the show before. And he's a big fan of uh, some of those uh, seg various segments that we've run in the past. So uh, we're, uh, we're happy that you're back listening, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, and, and uh, MJ was asking about this earlier. We we hope we're still working with some other groups to provide some additional segments here as we go into 2019, and we bolster our podcast and add some new things. Um, uh, we hope to have some exciting things to announce uh, for you about some uh, new segments from some other groups that will be uh, uh, part of our show. But I think that just about does it for tonight in this episode of Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening and watching, guys. If 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 you like the show, do us a favor before I reveal who our next guest is, and uh, leave a great review on your podcast app. Uh, we we'd love to hear from you guys. We'd love to hear what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to the show. That that's a a big part of this is just by hitting your subscribe button. 
on your podcast app, but just make sure that when we release the next episode, like we just released a bonus episode last week, that's not a part of our normal bi-weekly show. But if you're not subscribed, you're not going to get notified that there's a new one that we've just released and, and it'll show up right in your inbox on your podcast app. So it works out really cool. Uh, special thanks to our guest tonight, uh, Jim Williams. Jim, Yay. thanks for joining us. Awesome. Uh, awesome stories, and, and we love to hear from people that are just weather geeks like us. So thanks for coming on. Uh, our next episode, folks, is going to be in two weeks. We'll be re uh, recording live on December 13th. With our third Women in Chasing episode, we've got the Weather Network's meteorologist and host of Storm Hunters, Jacqueline Whittle, is going to be with us. Uh, so we're going to be excited about that. If you want to watch the recording live, uh, it's going to be at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Just go to our YouTube channel. Uh, just search Stormfront Freaks on YouTube. You'll find our channel. And you can watch it live if you want to do that as well. But for MJ, for Maz, for Brady, and for Jim, uh, tonight I'm going to go ahead and signal the all clear, and we're going to catch you all next time. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Watch our shows on YouTube and Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out our live interactive Storm Chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search for Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.